This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. It is late, one September night in 1997, in the borderlands of Nevada and California. Out on the edges of the desert town of Pahrump sits a simple double-wide trailer surrounded by a panoply of satellite dishes and radio receivers. Eighty miles to the east lie the bright lights of Las Vegas, and just a little further to the north, past desolate valleys and dusty mountain ridges, a place known variously to some as Dreamland or Paradise Ranch, but more commonly today as Area 51. Inside the trailer, late-night radio DJ Art Bell takes a drag on a cigarette as the Charlie Daniels band thunders through the devil went down to Georgia, when suddenly he notices a call coming through on the Area 51 line. Earlier in the show, Art had invited former employees of the secretive U.S. Air Force Base to call in on the dedicated line if they wished to share any information about their time working there. It is shortly after 1 a.m., with millions listening across more than 400 radio stations throughout the nation, when Art prematurely fades out the music and takes the call. On my Area 51 line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. Yes. Hi. Um, I, I, I don't have a whole lot of uh, time. Um, I, a former employee. Former um, employee. I, I, I was let go on a medical discharge about a week ago, and... And I, I've kind of been running across the country. Um, oh, man, I don't know where to start. They're, um, they'll triangulate on this position really, really soon. So um, you can't spend a lot of time on the phone. So give us something quick. Okay. Um, um, okay, what, what we're thinking of as, as aliens are, they're, uh, they're, they're extra-dimensional beings that... An earlier precursor of the um, space program made contact with. Uh, 
they they are not what they claim to be. Uh, they have infiltrated a lot of uh, uh, a lot of aspects of, of of the military establishment, particularly the Area 51. Uh, the, the disasters that are coming, they... As the caller went on to explain, disasters were coming that would lead to the wiping out of major population centres led by these apparent aliens. And then, silence. The signal completely cut out. Not just for the call, but Art's entire show. Though it would be a stretch to say that Art was shaken by the incident. After all, He had been fielding similar callers throughout his career. This one was undoubtedly different. Not once in his 20 years of broadcasting history had he ever lost his satellite signal. Something, or someone, it seemed, had cut the caller off. And so this incident would become one of many events in the great ocean of UFO conspiracy theories linked to that mysterious Air Force base. Today, for many, the words Area 51 are synonymous with UFOs and theories about just what it is the US government really knows about supposed visitors from other realms. And for one incident in particular that sits at the very top of ufology lore. You're listening to Unexplained, and I'm Richard McLean Smith. Early in the morning of June 14, 1947, two riders are slowly picking their way through desert scrub as a herd of sheep amble about in the distance ahead of them. The riders are 48-year-old ranch manager William Mac Brazel and his 8-year-old son, Fernan. For the past decade or so, Brazel had worked as the foreman for the J.B. Foster Sheep Ranch, a homestead located about 130 miles southeast of Albuquerque in Lincoln County, New Mexico. Though the family lived 70 miles away in Tularosa, Mac, as he was known to his friends, was required to stay on site, boarding in what was little more than a shack, isolated on his own, with no electricity, water or telephone. And so it was with great fondness that he looked forward to days like these, spending time with his son, just enjoying the tranquility of the desert. Just 40 years previously, Mac's uncle, Jesse Wayne Brazel, achieved some notoriety after getting caught up in the murder of Pat Garrett, the infamous lawman who gunned down Billy the Kid. Though Jesse confessed to the killing, many believed he'd merely been put up to it, since that kind of act just wasn't the Brazel way. As for Mac, He was very much the quiet sort, preferring to just keep his head down and work hard for his family. That morning, Mac and Vernon were about seven miles from the ranch as Mac ran his eyes over the sheep, when he caught sight of something glinting in the distance. That's strange, he thought, as he tugged his hat down further over his eyes and squinted toward the sparkling light. It seemed to be coming from the ground. Assuming it to be nothing but a mirage, or some other trick of the light, Mac kicked lightly on the horse and trotted out toward it. But incredibly, as he drew nearer, the mirage didn't disappear. Instead, 
it seemed to fracture into a number of separate reflective pieces. This was no mirage, he realised, but something material that had fallen from above and shattered all across the desert floor. Though often, out there in that big wide expanse, it could feel to Mac like he might as well have been on Mars, how isolated he was from the outside world. On occasion, his world would be interrupted by the odd weather balloon dropping in from out of the sky. But as Mac looked upon the strange mix of materials scattered across the floor in front of him, the only thing he did know was that this was nothing like any of those weather balloons he had seen before. Ten days later, after Mac Brazel's discovery in New Mexico, something unusual was about to unfold 1,500 miles away. Since 1941, fire control engineer Kenneth Arnold had run his own business selling and installing firefighting equipment to rural areas across five western states. Part of Arnold's success owed much to his dual experience as a pilot, which gave him direct access to his clients in a way that most of his competitors couldn't match. In 1944, Arnold gained his solo flying licence and duly purchased his own plane, often flying 40 to 100 hours per month as he peddled his wares up and down the country. By the summer of 1947, Arnold, who was by then 32, had over 9,000 hours of flying time under his belt. On the morning of June 24th, Arnold had been helping to install equipment for the Central Air Service in Chehalis, Washington. Having finished the job shortly before 2pm, Arnold headed to the local airport, then boarded his Corlair single-engine airplane and promptly set off toward his next appointment. Pulling ever higher into the bright blue sky above, Arnold set course for the city of Yakima, located just 150 miles due east on the other side of the Cascades mountain range. With it being such a calm and clear day, Arnold decided to have a look for a C-46 transport plane that had apparently gone down in the Cascades somewhere on the southwest slope of Mount Rainier only a few days previously. A $5,000 reward had been offered to anyone who could locate it. A short time later, flying at 9,500 feet, Arnold made his approach to the mountain, then turned back on himself to make a thorough sweep of its western ridge. Seeing nothing below, save for a series of dark, rocky crags protruding out from under a dusting of fine white snow, Arnold continued westward just past the town of Ashford before completing a 360-degree turn and heading on towards Yakima. Though he was disappointed not to have spotted the downed plane, Arnold eased back to an altitude of 9,200 feet and resolved just to enjoy the rest of the flight from there on in, admiring the wide blue sky above and the wild, untouched terrain below. Moments later, Arnold noticed a DC-4 aircraft flying about 15 miles behind him and 5,000 feet above. He was just making a note of it when he was distracted by a series of sudden bright flashes reflecting off his plane. Startled by the flashes, 
Arnold hurriedly searched about for any sign of any other aircraft nearby, worried that he might have gotten too close to something without realising. Then he noticed something odd just beyond the summit of Mount Rainier. What appeared to be nine single aircraft, flying at a similar altitude to his own plane, approaching rapidly in a V formation from north to south. Arnold watched with amazement as the apparent crafts, though keeping set on their course, continued to dip and swerve in and out of the high mountain peaks, moving as if they were stones being skimmed across water. As they did so, bright flashes of sunlight reflected off them, just like he had been startled by moments before. Before long, the objects had moved in front of the mountain, from which Arnold was then able to observe the shape of them, silhouetted against the white canvas of snow behind. And that was when things got really strange. At first, the objects seemed to be little more than thin black lines, until they would flip suddenly and momentarily reveal themselves to be round, saucer-like discs that came to a point at the back. Worried his eyes were deceiving him, Arnold slid the window back to get a clear view, unimpeded by the plexiglass. He also tried turning the plane slightly for a different angle, but still the nine strange objects remained visible. Quickly grabbing a small tool from his pocket, Arnold used it to compare the size of the vehicles with the DC-4 in the distance, judging them to be about half the size of its wingspan. The width of the whole V formation he estimated to be about five miles long. After almost three minutes, Arnold watched the objects as they continued on their way south toward Mount Adams, before eventually disappearing altogether from view. Are you always taking care of your family? Do you often take care of others and not yourself? Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. You deserve it. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best, to feeling like yourself again. With Teladoc, you can speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video. Therapy appointments are available seven days a week from 7am to 9pm local time. If you feel overwhelmed sometimes, maybe you feel stressed or anxious, depressed or lonely, or you might be struggling with a personal or family issue, Teladoc can help. Teladoc is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy to change counsellors if needed, for free. Teladoc therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. A bemused and excitable Arnold touched down at Yakima Airport just after 4pm, where he immediately regaled airport manager and good friend Al Baxter with what he had just witnessed. Baxter listened carefully to what his friend had to say, but there was just no way, he thought, that Arnold could possibly have seen what he was claiming. Nonetheless, it was such an unusual story that by the time Arnold arrived in Pendleton, Oregon, to attend an air show later that day, news of his bizarre sighting had already preceded him. Speaking to a number of pilot friends at the show, some former army pilots, Arnold was urged to recount his story again. 
Unlike Baxter, however, many were less certain if Arnold had been mistaken. A number of them speculated as to whether the aircraft might actually have been top-secret planes that were still being developed by the US military. During the incident, Arnold had tried to gauge how quickly the objects had been moving by counting the time it took for them to travel between Mount Rainier and Mount Adams. It was only later that evening that he remembered to check the distance between the two landmarks. When he discovered they were 50 miles apart, Arnold was shocked. By his estimation, the objects would have had to have been flying in the region of 1,700 miles per hour, three times faster than any known aircraft at the time. The day after his apparent sighting, Arnold was invited to the offices of the East Oregonian paper in Pendleton to share his version of events. The paper published the story the same day, following it up the next, giving a description of the aircraft as nine bright saucer-like objects flying at 1,200 miles per hour. Before long, the story was sweeping the nation, being picked up by countless other papers, including the Chicago Sun, whose now famous headline Supersonic Flying Saucers, cited by Idaho Pilot, is thought to be the first ever use of the term flying saucer. Two days after the event, Arnold was interviewed on KWRC radio. Well, they didn't fly in a conventional formation that's taught in our army. They, uh, they seemed to kind of weave in and out right above the mountaintop. And uh, I would say that they even went down into the canyons in several instances, oh, probably 100 feet. But I could see them against uh, the snow, of course, on Mount Rainier and against the snow on Mount Adams as they were flashing and against a high ridge that happens to lay in between Mount Rainier and Mount Adams. But uh, when I observed the tail end of the last one passing Mount Adams, and I was at an angle uh, near Mount Rainier from it, but uh, I looked at my watch and it showed one minute and 42 seconds. Well, uh, I still thought, well, that's pretty fast, and I didn't stop to think what the distance was between the two mountains. Well, I landed at Yakima, Washington, and uh, Al Baxter was there to greet me, and uh, (laughs) he told me, I guess I better change my brand. (laughs) For the next few days, Arnold was catapulted into the spotlight, inundated with interview requests, and even recognized when out on the street. But incredibly, it wasn't only Arnold who had apparently seen the nine supposed saucer-like aircraft. On June 24th, while Arnold and his plane were heading past Mount Rainier, prospector Fred Johnson from Portland, Oregon, was in the Mount Adams district when he too spotted something unusual heading toward him in the sky above. Having a telescope on him at the time, Johnson was able to get a closer view of them. In a letter written to the Army Air Force some months after the event, Johnson claimed the objects were roughly 30 feet wide, had a bright top surface, and were round in shape, but tapered to a sharp point at the back, just as Arnold had claimed. Looking closer through his telescope, Johnson had also apparently seen some kind of device at the tail end, which he described as being like the big hand of a clock, shifting from side to side like a big magnet. That same day, a Washington State Forest Service worker on fire watch in the Diamond Gap lookout tower just 20 miles south of Yakima saw something too. It was around 3pm 
while making a routine sweep of the forest with his binoculars, that the man noticed a series of bright flashes coming from the direction of Mount Rainier. The flashes appeared to move in a straight line right across his field of vision. Johnson's and the fire service workers' account are thought to be two of at least 16 similar sightings to Kenneth Arnold's, given by witnesses considered credible by either the press or Army Air Force investigators. The pilot of the DC-4 that had been flying close to Arnold at the time of the incident was also contacted. However, he was reported not to have seen anything unusual that day. Back at the J.B. Foster Ranch in New Mexico, Mac Brazel, unaware of the Kenneth Arnold sightings, was beginning to wonder more and more about the peculiar debris he'd spotted on the pastures the previous week. Something about it just didn't add up. On July 2nd, just over 30 miles to the east of the Foster Ranch, in the town of Roswell, something else was afoot. Roswell, with a population at the time of roughly 15,000, is the seat of Chavez County, and its residents were no strangers to the sight of objects flying rapidly through the sky. Back in 1930, early rocketing pioneer and inspiration to a young Jack Parsons, Robert Goddard, established a base in Roswell to conduct his research in the nascent technology. Goddard had picked Roswell as the perfect place to experiment due to its sense of isolation and the strict secrecy it afforded him. Only 10 years later, the United States Army Air Forces, having acquired land from a local rancher, constructed the Roswell Army Airfield on the southern outskirts of the town. That July night, at 105 South Pennsylvania Avenue, 32-year-old Doris and 40-year-old Dan Wilmot headed out to their porch, as they usually did, to relax after one of the hottest days of the year. The couple were well known to many in the city and highly respected, partly due to Dan being the owner of a prominent local hardware store, but also a serving member of the city's board of education. It was just approaching 10pm when Dan noticed something unusual in the pitch black sky. Since both Dan and Doris had spent their entire lives in the area, having lived through both Goddard's experimenting and the construction of the local Air Force base, they had seen their fair share of aircraft. But this was like nothing they had seen before. At first, it seemed nothing more unusual than a bright star in the sky, until Dan realised that not only was it moving, but it was getting closer, zipping through the sky at a high rate of speed. Doris soon caught sight of it too, as it approached from out of the south, heading in a northwesterly direction. In their excitement, the couple sprang to their feet and ran into the yard to get a better look at it. Dan later estimated it to have been travelling somewhere close to 500 miles per hour at roughly 1,500 feet. But it was the shape of it that really caught their attention. As the couple reported later, at about 5 feet in depth, and somewhere between 15 to 20 feet wide. It appeared to be oval, like two inverted saucers placed face to face. Aside from the faintest swishing sound, the object was completely silent. But most peculiarly, the whole body of it was glowing, not from any lights they could see outside of it, 
but from the inside of the object. The couple claimed to have watched the object for roughly a minute before it disappeared beyond distant treetops on nearby Six Mile Hill. Dan and Doris would spend the rest of the night utterly confused as to what on earth it was they had just seen, assuming that it would be the talk of the town the next day. Much to their surprise, however, not one person mentioned it. Before long, the couple began to wonder if they had seen anything unusual at all. Back out on the J.B. Foster ranch, Mac Brazel and his son had been joined by his wife and daughter to celebrate Independence Day. Having finally decided to do something about the debris out in the field, Brazel convinced his family to join him out there in trying to pick it all up. After riding for an hour and a half, the family came upon the strewn pieces, just as Mac had left them on June 14th. Together, they jumped down and gathered up as much of it as they could, bundling the rest of it up and hiding it under a bush. The following day, Mac drove up to Corona, a small township 40 miles to the north, to visit his brother-in-law, Hollis. Later, when Mac told Hollis about the strange materials he had found out in the desert, his brother-in-law's eyes widened. It was then that Mac heard for the first time about the bizarre sightings of unidentified flying objects that seemed to be plaguing the nation. And so it was that, after wrestling with what best to do, on Monday morning, July 7th, Mac loaded up his truck with some of the pieces of what he'd found and set off toward Roswell. A short time later, after first dropping his family off into La Rosa, Mac pulled up outside the Chavez County Sheriff's Office. Taking the strange materials from the back of his truck, he walked through the big double doors and straight into one of the most beguiling and enduring mysteries of modern times. You've been listening to Unexplained, Season 4, Episode 11, New Dawn Fades, Part 1 of 2. The second and final part will be released next Friday, July 5th. If you enjoy listening to Unexplained and would like to help supporters, you can now go to unexplainedpodcast.com forward slash support. All donations, no matter how large or small, are massively appreciated. All elements of Unexplained are produced by me, Richard McLean-Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplained. Now it's time to take care of yourself to make time for you. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best. Speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video anytime between 7am to 9pm local time, seven days a week. Teladoc therapy 
is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teledoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.